the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Luke 24, the gospel that was read, one verse in particular. The Emmaus disciples, two of them, husband and wife, his name Cleopas, brother of Joseph, her name Mary. They were, she was part of the four women who stood at the foot of cross of the cross. Mary of Magdalene, and there is Mary, Jesus' mother, and there is Mary, the wife of Cleopas, those are the two disciples walking that road. And in the verse 21, it says, when Jesus joined them and all of a sudden conversation expands between themselves and this stranger that has come, they said to Jesus, we had hoped that this prophet of Nazareth named Jesus We had hoped with all that we had seen over the three years and all that we had heard about, all his miracles, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But they came, the chief priests and our rulers, and for some bizarre reason they handed him over to be sentenced to death. And then they crucified him. They crucified the one in whom we had placed our hope. And that is the text for this Sunday. I share this story every seven or eight years. Growing up in Jasper, Minnesota, population 600. Farming community, all of them. Out in the country, ten miles from my house, There was a giant farmhouse that my dad drove by one day. And as soon as I saw that house, I knew I was going to have to ride my bike back out there and check that house out. Got out a piece of paper, drew a map all the way to our house, and about a month later on a beautiful fall afternoon, I got my bike and I rode out to that giant mansion of a farmhouse. And when I got there... I realized no one had lived in that house for decades. All the paint was gone, holes in the roof, trees growing literally inside the house, pushing their branches out of the windows, overgrown with weeds and bushes. Deserted, most certainly. Haunted, perhaps. I remember very much wanting to get inside that house. I rode my bike, as I said, one fall afternoon, and when I arrived, all the doors are locked, closed, shuttered, nailed. And as I look in the windows, there's so much dust and spider webs and bird droppings that I could barely see inside. I walked around the house several times trying to figure out what might be inside. How many rooms were inside a house that large? Was there still furniture in there? Were there pictures on the wall? It was driving me crazy because I could not get inside. 
Why would some farmer, some businessman, why would any individual build this gargantuan house out in the middle of the cornfields? I could only know a little bit about that house from the outside. If only I had a key to get inside, then some of my answers, some of my questions would be answered. Not all of them, but some. But I needed that key, and the key was not to be found. I rode back home very disappointed with lots of questions. The house kept her mysteries. I had no key to get inside. And so it seems, as we look at the Emmaus disciples on this Sunday, it seems to me a parable of sorts. The house of life's meaning is something like that. So many doors to our understanding of things are shut now. So many windows to our understanding of things, they are fastened shut now. We peep in, we get a general glimpse of life, its meaning. We walk around, we talk with other people. We get a general idea as to the lie of the land with regards to this thing called life. But there are so many things that puzzle us. Things in life upon which no clear light shines. There was an episode this past week. And when I visited the family at the hospital, their first question to me was, why would God allow this to happen to our son? Why would God allow this to happen to our son? We are puzzled, we don't understand, we're confused, we're angry, we're saddened. Why would God allow this to happen to our son? And those individuals are people who sit here fairly frequently. There are so many things in life upon which no clear light shines. Here is Cleopas, here is his wife. They have known Jesus for at least two years. They are part of the inner circle. There are the twelve disciples, and then you have this inner circle. And Cleopas and his wife Mary are part of it. They are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Bible tells us, seven miles. They are dismayed and puzzled and sad and confused as they walk that road. And someone joins them on the road, as Pastor Shower just read, and that someone is Jesus. They don't recognize him, and he strikes up a conversation. Hey, you guys, why do you look so sad? Why do you look so dismayed? What has happened that brings you to this state? What are you talking about as you're walking on the road? What causes you such anguish? And they deliver the news to this stranger. They tell him about Jesus the prophet. They tell him about the chief priests and the rulers of the people crucifying him. And then when the facts have been delivered, their own estimation comes into play. And out of their mouth comes these words, We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And as certainly as God put Jesus in the life of every person mentioned in the Bible, 
And certainly as God put Jesus there at Jacob's well when the woman from Sychar comes walking out, and certainly as God put the thief on the cross right next to Jesus or Jesus right next to him, and certainly as Jesus was put in that village by God at the moment that the woman with the issue of blood comes walking out of her house, and as certainly as God put him in that village When Jairus' daughter is dying, he's not 70 miles away. He's right there in the village, a couple of miles away from Jairus' house. And certainly, as the GPS system of God works that way, in the Bible it worked that way for these two. Cleopas and his wife. It's the third appearance of Jesus on that first Easter. He appeared to Mary Magdalene there in the garden. He appeared to Simon Peter. And this is the third appearance, eight hours after God raised him from the dead. He's strolling on the road to Emmaus. Not because he doesn't have anything better to do with his time. He's on the road because those two are on the road and he walks with them. When he came, he had something they didn't have. Jesus had the key. Jesus had the key. The doors were closed for the Emmaus disciples and the windows were sealed shut, but Jesus had the key. That is why God placed him there. There's a song we sing at Reveal, become one of my favorites. Jesus is the way maker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. He had the key. For the ten lepers, he had the key. For the crippled man, for the blind man, for the demon-possessed boy, for Jairus' daughter, for the woman with the blood disease, for the woman at the well, uh, for 120 other people in the Bible whose biographies are listed. Jesus had the key. And he opened the door to life's meaning. He let them inside. That's what he did. He began to say to them, starting with Moses and all of the prophets, the major and the minors, he began to share with them exactly who Jesus was, where he was born, what his ministry was going to be. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, he was going to die. He was going to be raised from the dead. He was going to set up a kingdom not seen by human eyes. He explains all of this. Now there are 270 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. And every single one of them came true. I don't know if he had time to cover all 270. Maybe he only pulled 5 or 10 out of his pocket Maybe that is all he had time for until they arrived at the village. And by the time his key had begun to work, there was a change happening in those two disciples. They had hoped that the deliverance would come from Rome. They figured that if Jesus could feed 10,000 with five loaves and two fish, that no matter how many famines came to Israel, there would always be enough food if he set up his kingdom. And you might as well close down the hospitals and the doctors would be out of business because this guy could heal anything. 
If he was king, there'd be no hunger, there'd be no illness. Assyria and Babylon and Neo-Persians and the Egyptians and the Romans, there'd be no empire ever powerful enough to come against this guy. I mean, he has angels at his beckoning. And one angel in the Old Testament kills 187,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. They knew the miracles, Cleopas and his wife. They knew every single miracle in the Old Testament. They knew the power of God. And they knew every miracle that Jesus had done, not just the 35 that you and I know, but the hundreds of others not written down. They had seen it all. And they, like the disciples, had this concept that he would set up this earthly kingdom. And he brings out the key, and he goes to the prophecies in the Old Testament, and they begin to understand. And when they began to understand, something unique happens. All of a sudden, as Jesus is talking about the prophecies, yeah, he was going to be crucified. You got half the story right. But why did you forget the other prophecy that says God was going to raise him from the dead? And that's what happened. And when Jesus is speaking this way, the Holy Spirit comes drifting in like some wind off of the desert. Holy Spirit comes drifting in. How do we know the Holy Spirit is drifting in? Because all of a sudden, the two disciples are not talking about his death and crucifixion. They are saying, oh my goodness gracious, you know, as we listen to you talk, we forgot to tell you what else happened. Some women went this morning, eight hours ago, and they went to the tomb and he wasn't there. And there were two angels there and they said, Matthew 28, 6, he is not here, he's risen from the dead. And stranger on the road... Then two of the disciples, Peter and John, they ran to the grave and, and they saw that it was empty. He was not there. So you're reminding us of, of the Old Testament prophecies and now all of a sudden we're being reminded of what happened this morning. Could it possibly be true? Holy Spirit came. We're going we're gonna to celebrate Pentecost in a couple of weeks. Pentecost came 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, but excuse me, the Holy Spirit came before he ever died. What else prompts a thief on the cross to say, I believe in you, remember me when you come into your kingdom? That's the Holy Spirit's work. And eight hours after he's raised from the dead, and these two guys are strolling down the road, there is Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit. And they begin to believe. First Corinthians twelve three. No one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. They begin to believe. And when they come to the house, they're going to stay in. Jesus pretends that he's going to keep walking, <laughs> and they practically tackle him. You ain't going nowhere. You know the light bulb's going off here. I don't want the light bulb to extinguish. You've covered a little bit of the story. I know there's more to the story here. You're not going anywhere. Stay with us. And if you don't, we'll force you to. Stay with us. 
And Jesus stays with them and they sit down at that table and he breaks the bread. He breaks the bread. I don't know if he quoted the words that he spoke on Monday, Thursday. Take eat, this is my body. Take drink, this is my blood. I don't know if he quoted the words. I wish I knew. But he breaks the bread and maybe he speaks the words. And on then all of a sudden, forget the light bulb, man. You got an explosion going on. The Holy Spirit just pounces on them. And their mouth is hanging open. Please close your mouth. And their eyes are wide open. And they say, this is Jesus. And since they are so closely connected with the disciples and with the assembly of believers, they go running back seven miles, figure hour and ten minutes for them to get back. And they break into that room and they say, Jesus, we just saw him. He is risen from the dead. Verse 36. Very next verse after this episode. That's where it says that Jesus appeared to them in the upper room. Look at the nail marks in my hands and feet. Look at the spear mark in my side where the soldiers shoved it in. It is I. Peace be with you. It is I. It is I. While they were still talking, while these two disciples are still talking, I can see the disciples standing there looking at uh, the Emmaus disciples, and all of a sudden the Emmaus disciples see their eyeballs get really big, and they see that these disciples are looking at someone that's behind them, and then they turn and there stands Jesus the same one that had been with them an hour, ten minutes earlier. There he stands. The road to Emmaus. I mentioned a couple of years ago that it doesn't matter what hospital Pastor Shower and I visit. Christ Hospital, South Suburban, Northwestern Hospital, Loyola, doesn't matter, Payless Hospital, There's always pictures on the wall. The irony is the pictures are always the same. The pictures are about roads. Roads through woods. Roads through farm countries. Highways. Roads that lead down to beaches. There are always roads. And I always understand the symbolism. The hospital is saying to the individuals there who are patients, This is just part of the road that you walk. This is part of the highway called life. What road are you on right now? What road are you on? Is your baby a week old? Your first baby? Is that the road you're on? The incredible excitement. You don't sleep, but it doesn't matter, at least not yet, because this is your baby. Do you have a wedding right around the corner? I met with a couple last night. I'm, Connie and I are going to a wedding far, far away from here, middle of this week. Is it wedding preparation time? Did you get married last week? Honeymoon still going on. Is that the road you're on? Are you happier than all get out because you got a brand new job, a brand new boss? It's like a little piece of heaven has entered your life. Graduation's right around the corner. You got a senior graduating from high school or college? 
That's quite a road. Excitement and disbelief, how can they have grown up so quickly? What road are you on? Cancer's in remission. God be praised. What road are you on? Is it a darker road? Are you on the road to the doctor? You're going to see him tomorrow. You're hoping the results. You're praying feverishly the results are good of that biopsy. What road are you on to the oncologist? What road to the lawyer? The marriage just didn't survive. What road to the bank your house foreclosed on? What road are you on now? Do you have a wake you're going to on Tuesday? Is it a friend or is it a family member? Is it your spouse? Is it your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister? Heaven forbid it's one of your children. And then after the wake, the next day, the road to the cemetery. With your hazard lights on and your bright lights on and your heart barely keeping up with the hands that are steering that wheel. What road are you on? The video told you who's on the road. The Bible tells you who's on the road. It's Him. It's Him. It's Jesus. He's on the road. And as certainly as He came to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, so He comes to you. Here, in His Word. Here He comes to you. Some hymn, one of the hymns we sing is 800 years old. You listen to a hymn and it brings back memories and it brings a reminder that He's with you. You open up a devotion book and you're looking at the devotion and you're dumbfounded because the devotion is applicable to exactly what you're going through on that day. And you can't believe that God had that devotion ready for you on that particular day at that particular moment. But that's how God operates. And that's how Jesus operates. He's with you on the road. And whatever He shared with those two disciples, He shares it with you, plus a thousand other things. All of the promises that we have, seven thousand of them. And whatever promise you need on the road you're walking, it's there. You can't believe that God would forgive you of a sin that you will never forget for the rest of your life, like David and Bathsheba and Uriah. And he's on the road with 700 promises of forgiveness. And when you're terrified, when you wake up in the morning and a panic attack takes place before you take your first breath. He's there with His promises on that road. Do not be afraid. I, the Son of God, am with you. And if you're grieving the loss of a loved one, 153 times on that road called grief, 153 times, He says to you with a smile on His face, there is life after this life. You woke up this morning, it was already one day closer to seeing them again. I love this Sunday where we talk about the Emmaus disciples. 
Sometimes Pastor Sauer is blessed to preach on that Sunday. Sometimes I am. We walk roads. Jerry Staroska is here this morning. I watched her video yesterday. We're going to show it pretty soon. And when I realized what she went through, that carjacking, when I realized from her own lips what she went through, she states in the video she knew who was with her in the car. On that road, the nightmare that none of us would ever want to go through, she knew who was with her in the car. And she knew the gentleman in the back seat was touched by that same Lord and Savior that was so prominent in her life. She walked that road hand in hand with her Savior. God be with you, Sherry. Closing word. David, I don't know what road he was on when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. I don't know what road he was on. But all of a sudden he picks up a pen and he begins to write. He says, it doesn't matter what road I'm on, the Lord is my shepherd. And the road right now is kind of a brown dead pasture. But I know it's going to green up pretty soon because he's on the road. And the road I'm walking right now, the waves are so high. I don't know if I'm going to survive, but I know I will. Because he's walking the road and the waves have become still. And if I have panic and if I have doubt and if I have fear and if I don't want to wake up in the morning, I know who's on the road. He'll restore peace to my soul. And how does it end? Even if I walk the road called the valley of death, I'll not be afraid. Because hand in hand with me is the same one who walked the road to Emmaus. Hand in hand with me is my Savior. Keep close here. Because here is where he visits you. She was 92 years of age. She died about two months ago. And the last time I saw her, I came walking in, and she didn't have enough strength to feed herself anymore. But she was humming a song. And she was very weakly singing a song. And when I got close to her, I knew what hymn she was singing. 500 years old, she was singing a mighty fortress is my God. She passed away about 20 minutes after I left. Who was on the road? Jesus. In a hymn that Luther wrote straight from the Bible. He was with her on the road as she entered heaven. Dear Lord, keep us close to you. No matter what road we are walking, keep us close to you. Never a circumstance, a road, a highway, a byway, a trail, never a circumstance in which we do not realize your presence, your peace, 
and your strength. Walk the roads with us, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.